Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. What do you mean, Gavin? You've never seen Escape from New York. How did you even get this job? Oh, it came out the year before you were born. <laughs> Ass. The following podcast contains... Yes, sir. He commenced to cussing and laying about with threat. Don't you cuss at me, Jimmy Dean. I'll sick my dog on you. You have to use so many cuss words. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you declared a city with 8 million people living in it dead because your favorite overpriced shithole bistro only does carry out, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is episode number 275, New York City, We Heard You Was Dead edition of the show where we talk about how the rich rats are abandoning the greatest city in the fucking world. Stay tuned. The What the Hell You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Money Movers. Are you rich and want to get out of New York City? We got your trucks right here, pal. Money Movers will come to your multi-million dollar apartment or brownstone, pack up your shit, and get you the fuck out of New York real, real quick, because we don't want you here either. Money Movers don't care where you're going. We just want you gone. Go back to Connecticut or Iowa, whatever shitty flyover or suburb you came from. Take your snotty-ass kids, too. Fuck them, sucking money up for their loot-making lessons and shit instead of reading. You got a trust fund and an East Village apartment? You want out of the city quick? Call Money Movers, and we'll get your shit back in your parents' fucking garage. Too sweet, I tell you. Get your entitled ass back where you belong. Money Movers, getting these rich fucks out of the city as fast as we fucking can. might as well have been the moon when I was a kid in Podunk, Tennessee. You knew it existed. You know, some people had been there, but you were never gonna go there. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I would watch the shows on the TV, see the graffiti trains rolling on the elevated tracks of Brooklyn's or the, or the antics of Barney and Wojo at the 12th precinct in the village and try to imagine what it would be like if I lived there. Little did I know that I would live there, and my personal experience would be mostly fish. I beg your pardon, but that can't be. I am Sergeant Philip K. Fish. 
but your records must be wrong. Lady, who are you going to listen to? Me or your computer? You won't believe this, but according to their records, I'm deceased. It's probably a mistake. Of course, as I grew older, my vision of the city changed with the times. By the time I was in my 20s, it was a Seinfeldian paradigm, centered largely around coffee shops and erotic friends. And when I finally made it here in 2005, in my 30s, and my actual experience of the city was, well, being broke and desperately trying to find a job that could make, help me make rent. This is the actual experience of most New Yorkers, whether they're born here or moved here seeking whatever it was they came here looking for. What was it I came looking for? You know, the usual chance to make it here like everyone else. And we all know how that turned out. He's a failed writer. New York City has never been kind to me. This is largely because it isn't capable of kindness or malice. It's a fucking city. It's pretty much been a struggle since day one. There have been good times, but a whole bunch of times that suck sweaty donkey balls. You ever find yourself with eviction paperwork on three different occasions and see how you feel about your life choices after that? Every time, though, I thought I was done. I found a way to make it work. found a way to stay here. Leaving would have been easier. Hell, it would have probably been the right thing to do. Where the fuck else was I going to go? Back to Tennessee to live in a trailer behind my parents' house? Seems appropriate. I fought to make it here, and I will fight until I cannot fight anymore, because for all the flaws and fuckery of this city, I truly love it here. It's the greatest city on earth. I will admit, the past six months haven't been great for New York. This fucking pandemic has gutted the life of the city in a way no one could have ever seen coming. Except for, you know, all those people that said it was coming and we should all be getting ready for it. Those, those people are stupid. I hate those people. In April and May, when COVID was running wildfire through the city and no one knew when or if it would ever be under control, I even considered my options for escaping New York. Fortunately, they were basically non-existent, so it, that didn't, you know, take me very long at all. I fully adapted to living here. I haven't had a driver's license in almost 20 years. I certainly don't own a car, and it pretty much cost everything I make to survive here, even with a good job, so I got no savings, so where the fuck was I going to go? But more than that, it was pretty clear that leaving New York City was just delaying the inevitable. This virus was going to go everywhere, and chances are it would be worse in other places. So why not hunker down and wait it out here? Turns out, I was right. Other people, however, apparently did have options. And they... He buggered off. So he has, he's scalping. Thousands of people left the city in the early months of the pandemics. The Youngs went home to their parents' houses in whatever suburban utopia their white privilege anointed them in their youth, while the older folks led the summer homes upstate and in New England or to beach houses on the coast, loading their SUVs with clothes and toys and heading for the interior as fast as their hybrid transportation would go. The obscenely rich fled to the Hamptons or their ski chalets or their Los Angeles estates. A few even decided to go live on their yachts. The Upper East Side and many sections of the village are ghost towns as the rich and entitled are gone, and for the first time in decades, the ambient douche level of this city has finally fallen to tolerable levels. The New York Times estimated as much as 5% of the city's population left between April 1st and May 15th. That comes out to about 420,000 people, and all of them well above the medium income for the city. The rest of the city, the middle and working class residents and the poor and the homeless who lack things like, you know, summer houses in the Catskills or palaces in the Hamptons, 
We stayed through the long spring and into summer. We stayed inside and social distance and wore our mask. We ordered takeout, scrounged for toilet papers at the bodega. We drank too much and clapped for first responders. We listened to the sounds of sirens all day and night for month after long month. And at the last count, 32,446 of us died. So many people left or died that rent is starting to go down in the city. Residential vacancy is as high as 10% in some neighborhoods, and the rents are down between 5 and 10% in the city. This is extremely unusual. After 9-11, the city experienced a brief drop again, and again to a lesser degree after the crash of 2008. But after both, there was a quick recovery, and rents continued to spike for the past two decades. And it's too soon to tell how long or how low things will go thanks to COVID. But the smart money is this slump will be longer and deeper than the previous, and commercial real estate... Good point. The less said, the better. All in all, things are looking grim in the Big Apple, and a lot of people are saying that they won't come back. To which those of us who uh, stayed here have only this one reply. Don't let the door hit you where God split you. Which brings us to James Al Tucker. Who the hell is that? Well, James is a native New Yorker who made a shitload of money in tech in the 1990s, then lost all that money in the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s, then made a shit ton more money as a hedge fund manager... He founded over 20 companies, says he's written over 20 books. He was a tech blogger and owns a comedy club where he performs stand-up comedy. He is also a podcaster. These are all terrible, terrible things. Oh, wait, I forgot. He's also a chess master. Of course he is. On August 13th, Jimmy published an essay on LinkedIn. Because, yeah, where else would he publish something like that? Titled... New York City is dead forever. I know you are a bit of a drama queen. Quote, I love it in NYC. When I first moved to NYC, it was a dream come true. Every corner was a th- like a theater production happening right in front of me. So much personality. So many stories. Every subculture I loved was in NYC. I could play chess all day and night. I could go to comedy clubs. I could start any type of business. I could meet people. I had family, friends, opportunities. No matter what happened to me, NYC was a net I could fall back on and bounce back up. But now, now it's completely dead. NYC always, always bounces back. No, no, not this time. NYC is the center of the financial universe. Opportunities will flourish here again. No, not this time. NYC has experienced worse. No, it hasn't. Unquote. From there, Al Tucker goes on to lay out a litany of things he can't do anymore, from dining in expensive restaurants, attending Broadway debuts, to having famous people pop in his comedy club to do his podcast. God, podcasters are so fucking pretentious. Yes, Yes, they are. Before he finally gets down to the nutty nougat in the center of his shitty little candy bar. Quote, And then in June, rioting and looting, a second wave of New Yorkers, this time me, left. I have kids. Nothing was wrong with the protest, but I was a little nervous when I saw the video of rioters after curfew trying to break into my building. Ah, there it is. Jimmy didn't leave New York because the colleges won't be open or Henley Winkler isn't stopping by his shitty club. He's leaving because the rabble frightened him. New York had two... Maybe three nights of what could be considered rioting and looting. 
There were a couple of nights in Brooklyn where the crowds did boil over and the stores were broken into. The night Jimmy's talking about was a coordinated organized crime heist of high-end merchandise along Fifth Avenue that turns out didn't really net much merchandise for the looters. No residential buildings were attacked unless they were over said high-end retailers on Fifth Avenue. No one was pulled out of their limos by angry crowds and curb stomped by angry urban youths. And not one single fucking guillotine was set up in Union Square for fucking hedge fund managers, despite my fervent suggestions at all the meetings. And by the time all the protests started, most of these rich fuckers were gone. All Tucker was just part of the last wave of Gucci-clad vermin to skivvy down the ropes of the ship. They saw us no longer welcoming to their well-heeled Rodentia way of life. So let's not pretend that rich fuckers fled New York because Black Lives Matter protests. They were gone before the first angry fist was lifted above a head. Prior to, but connected with people like Al Tucker, are the NIMBY motherfuckers that couldn't quite afford a home in the flyover, but they're working on it. Some concerned residents living near hotels that house the homeless say it's checkout time. Basically, they're fed up. About 13,000 single homeless adults are living in rooms in dozens of hotels across the city. For months, they've been taken there to keep shelters safe and socially distanced. But as the I-Team's Chris Glorioso shows us tonight, neighbors living near them say they're now compromising their safety. It's the drugs. It's we see people that are inebriated. There are registered sex offenders. Allison Morpurgo is a mother of teenagers who says ever since three Upper West Side hotels filled up with hundreds of people experiencing homelessness, social problems have spilled over onto Upper West Side streets. She's part of a group called Upper West Siders for Safer Streets. It's been collecting accounts and pictures like these of people apparently passed out on sidewalks, slumped over near restaurant tents, even some with hands down their pants, apparently committing lewd acts. Sometimes I go running in the morning and I'll see, frankly, needles um, on the ground. It's not clear if these images show the New Yorkers who are living in those homeless hotels, but Upper West Siders for Safer Streets say the pictures are evidence the city's policy is not working. We want to see change. We want to see a safer streets, but also we want to see people get the services they need, which clearly, you know, we're not seeing here. I know this is an audio medium, but I want you to imagine in your head what the lady in that clip looks like. You got her fixed in your head? Now, is she white? Is she well-dressed? Is she wearing that look of affronted privilege that well-dressed white women seem to adopt whenever they are trying to come across as not being a racist while they are doing something extremely racist? Hello, Karen. When the pandemic started, the city of New York began to house some of its nearly 60,000 homeless and unoccupied hotel rooms around the city. Since no one was coming to Plague City and the hotels weren't going to make any money, they began moving people in. The idea was the overcrowded shelters were going to be rife with the virus and giving these people a room of their own might even give a few of them a chance to get back on their feet again. For the long months of the lockdown, when the Karens of the Upper West Side were inside, these folks didn't bother anyone. But once we opened back up, the Karens lost their damn minds because they saw a black person on the Upper West Side. The New York Post, a Murdochian asswipe of a paper, began to amplify a small number of incidents into a bad old New York wave of drugs and squeegee men. Fuck the squeegee men, dirty enough to clean windshield of my car. God, the Post is still obsessed with squeegee men. 
After a couple of minor and honestly pretty run-of-the-mill incidents involving people assumed to be part of the homeless hotel residents, quick tip for the listeners, there are 60,000 homeless people in New York City, and the ones deepest in the hole of the homeless, the mentally ill, the deeply drug-addicted, they're not moving into any hotels. They're on the streets just like they always were. And the subway lets them travel to any neighborhood they like. There has always been homeless people like this on the Upper West Side. There have always been incidents with them. And because of those folks, the affluent white people of the neighborhood banded together like they always do to insist that something must be done. Fucking white people. There's a damn thing going on in this neighborhood that doesn't happen all over New York. 30 blocks north, that's about a mile and a half for you country folks, in my neighborhood of West Harlem, where there are no high-end hotels sitting empty to fill with homeless folks, the kind of things going on just a little bit downtown wouldn't even cause us to blink. There are drugs, there are fights, the random dudes lurching at you asking for money, and yeah, sometimes they get frisky and try to push at you when you tell them no, but you just step to one side and let them fall down. They're out of their fucking gourds on smack, they'll barely feel it. The kind of things these uppity white folks are angry about is just a Tuesday in Harlem even before the pandemic. So forgive me if I'm not exactly concerned about their petty white asses and that their children might see a dude's ass crack when he's sleeping on the fucking sidewalk. How about a little fucking compassion, you fake-ass liberal fuckwads? Because it's all fine and dandy for you to pretend to be concerned when it isn't your neighborhood, but as soon as you have to see them in your safe zones, you start harping on Mayor de Blamio, and he starts folding like a bad fucking hand of cards, just like he always does. Fuck you, you know, fucking join the rich fuckers and the trust funders in the burb, you petty pieces of shit. That's where you belong. The final card in the flop of the lever's hands is crime. And it's true. Crime is up in New York from last year. Shootings are way up, and it's a legit problem. But even with the spike, New York is still one of the safest cities in the United States. In the 1970s and 80s, crime was a fact of fucking life in the city. You got mugged on the subway, assaulted in the parks, and yeah, white people had it happen to them. That ain't it today. Anytime a white person in New York goes on about crime, you should look at them and ask, you spend a lot of time in East New York or Crown Heights, do you? Where is that? I don't know. Sorry, too specific if you don't live here. What I mean is, is that crime is in the same places it's always been for years, only there's more of it. And it's still the same old safe bore in New York City and all the places most white people go. You're not getting mugged on the subway, no one's getting beat up in the West Village, and you can still go to Central Park after dark. Although, you should never be in any park after midnight. That's never been safe. People are terrified, the fabled bad old days. That's a shorthand for pre-Giuliani New York, even though it's pretty clear Rudy had shit all to do with the reduction in crime, are about to come back. They said it after 9-11, they said it after the 2008 crash, and they're saying it now. Let me, uh, let me read an abstract of what the bad old days were really like from the National Criminal Justice Refer Reference Service of Homicide Statistics, statistics in 1977. Uh, homicides decreased uh, from 1622 to uh, 1557 at the rate of homicides per 100,000 residents uh, to, you know, around 19.7, placing New York City eighth in the homicide ranking for the 10 largest cities. Good job, huh? Manhattan had the highest homicide rate of the five boroughs with 37.4 homicides per 100,000 inhabitants and a total of 39.8 of the homicides occurred in residences. The largest number of homicides, 186, was recorded for December, and the least 
82 for February because it's cold and shit. However, half the homicides reported occurred between 8 p.m. and 3 a.m. with uh, the peak hour between uh, 9 and 10. You know, young adults with a top foot bracket, uh, 26 to 30 bracket accounting for about, I don't know, 18% of the 1977 totals. And males accounting for over 80% of all the victims. A whole total of 41.8% of all victims had detectable levels of alcohol, narcotics, or both in their blood at the time of death. And in 47.9% of homicides reported, 65.5% involved people who had a prior relationship to the murderer. That's fucking scale. Intra-family murders increased to 12.7% in 1977 for a ratio of one victim in every seven being killed by a family member. Juvenile homicide perpetrators, 7 to 15 years old, showed an arrest increase from 3.1 in 76 to 4.2 in 77. Altercations continue to be the causal factor in 58.2% of all identifiable cases of 134 elderly homicide victims, 60 and over. Over 54.1% were killed during the commission of a robbery. In addition to the 910 perpetrators, 438 or 41% were between the ages of 16 and 25. Firearms are still the chief type of weapon used with 56 but all the cases reported being death by gunshot wounds representing a 5.6 increase over 1976. Over 50% of the homicide victims were over 70% of the perpetrators had criminal records prior to the incident. In addition, victims and perpetrators with prior criminal records were arrested most often for drug charges and crimes. And there were 51 prior arrests for murder among the 1977 perpetrators, with 39 prior arrests for murder among the victims. List of sources and contributors are included if you guys want to see that shit. But who fucking cares? Holy shit! Now, by comparison, allow me to read the stats for June of 2020, the latest available from NewYorkCity.gov. Quote, Murder is up by 23.1%, 181 versus 147 for the first six months of 2020, when compared to the first six months of 2019. There were 205 citywide shooting incidents in June 2020 compared to 89 shootings in June of 2019, a 130.3 increase year to date through June 30th. There is still a 46% spike in citywide shooting incidents, 528 versus 362. Burglary increased 118.2, 1,783 versus 817 in June, and is up 46.3%, 7,234 versus 4,943 year-to-date through June 30th. For the month of June, rape decreased by 21%, 109 versus 138. Year-to-date through June 28th, citywide hate crimes declined 38%, 100. 34 versus 212 unquote we are a long way from the bad old days new york has always been associated with the rich and the famous and even i admit it's part of the allure where else could you get on the subway and find yourself riding with keanu reeves which is a thing that happens i even admit that we need some of these rich fucks to live here to give a certain lawn and mystique but the overwhelming majority of the city isn't hedge fund managers who buy their own comedy clubs because no other club will allow them on the stage because they aren't fucking funny. Or even trust fund kids who come to fuck other trust fund kids at illegal raves under bridges, which is also a thing that happens these days. It is overwhelmingly people who live and work here because they were born here or found themselves here and grew to love it. 
I also understand that the past few months have been scary and that you are not wrong to think about whether or not New York City is for you. It isn't for most of you, and there's no shame in that. A lot of people come here, get their start, and then head out for wherever they go from here as part of the next thing in their lives. But for most of us, it isn't about having a good story to tell your friends in L.A. about your time in New York or to press the fuck stains in Grand Forks with your time in the big city. It's our home. You don't get to come here, spend a couple of years making your shit ton of money and leave when times get hard and declare the city dead forever. Fuck you. The city has seen far worse than this and it is full full of people far better than you. You don't get to say that we're dead. I wanted to include the voices of other New Yorkers and, and their reactions in this podcast. And I found this article on Kings County Politics, of all places, by a woman named Ariyama C. Long, titled, Who the Fuck Are You to Tell Me My City's Dead? Quote, Dear Al Tucker, have you not walked the streets? Have you not seen the people here? Born here, bred here, living and breathing here. They are scrappy, scared hungry and tired, but more importantly, they're pissed. If anything, the rebel cry of thousands, millions fighting to live here is what should terrify anyone that declares us dead. New York isn't just Broadway shows, boutiques, restaurants, and comedy clubs. All of that is just a beautiful byproduct of this place, a place that ceaselessly, ceaselessly churns out cultures and foods and languages and arts and ideas that are so revered because the people who comprise them make it so, unquote. She goes on to highlight how resilient the city is and concludes thusly, quote, communities have rallied around movements. Mothers and fathers have stepped up and become teachers, hustlers, entrepreneurs, and revolutionaries, all while trying to survive for younger generations. There is hate and love swirling around in the atmosphere so thickly so that you can taste it. But this is not what dying is. This is shedding. This is rebirth. The only thing that died was convenience and complacency. So if you're so determined to go with it, so content to let it die, then move the hell out of the way for people fighting to live. Sign a native, unquote. New York is the people, not the buildings, not the bars, not the overpriced prefixed dinner joints. It isn't about the banks or the ad agencies. It isn't about the fucking white women bitching about seeing black men on their block. It's about the 8 million of us who live and work here every day. And 8 million, by the way, made up of only 25% or so of white people. The rest are people of color. This is their city. This is my city. The people who stay, the people who, be, who will be here to rebuild after the pandemic, the people who do the fucking work day in and day out while you make all the money. The homeless people living in those hotels are more New York than anyone who bails on New York and then writes a petty little argument on a shitty social network. This city has never been about the minority of rich white people who claim it as their fiefdom. They cannot exist without us, but we can do just fucking fine without them. It isn't the skyscrapers in Midtown or the stores on Fifth Avenue. It's the barbershops in Harlem, the row houses in Queens, the public houses in Brooklyn, the sanitation workers living on Staten Island. As long as we are here, as long as we stand with this city, it will never fucking die. 
So run off to Los Angeles or Miami or Nashville or wherever it is your piss trickles to when you leave. We don't need you, and we really, really, really don't want you here. That is it for our show this week. Yeah, I know, I know. You folks who don't live in New York City hate it when I do these New York shows, but goddammit, you all love your city too. I mean, why else would you live there? I've been to Memphis, Amy. I've been there a lot. Admittedly, it was a long time ago, but Memphis is one of those places you just have to love or you leave it. Speaking of love it or leave it, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods so others can learn to love you and then eventually leave you because you have such terrible taste in podcasts. All of the shows are at whatthehellpodcast.com, a one-stop shop of bad ideas, really. For more bad ideas, follow the show on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook. For even more bad ideas, kick us a few bucks on patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Get the show early and ad-free every week, and for a few dollars more, you can get what a bad idea it is to get our merch. Oh my god, it's great stuff, but wearing it, you don't want people to see you like that. You really don't. So for me, Dave, call me Snake, Bledsoe, producer, Cabby Gavin, and all the fictional inmates of the United States Correctional Facility on Manhattan Island, we want to say... The city really does keep on rolling, rolling on, and it will never stop. We'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.